Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. Welcome to Pint Glass Preachers. My name is Thomas O'Neill, and joining me today, as always, are Gabe Casper and Josh Woodrow. Believe it or not, they aren't as pretentious and self-righteous in real life as they come across on this podcast. Today's episode will probably be less humorous, as it's fairly inappropriate to crack wise with subjects like mass shootings, rape, and death. But the conversation's going to be great, so grab a pint, settle in, and let's get started. Is that the first time you've ever introduced yourself as Thomas? Yeah. That sounds more pretentious than anything we've ever said, Thomas. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Way to take it up a notch, buddy. Ridiculous. Yep, you know, using my real name, Robert. Whoa. Whoa. Easy. Okay. Easy. Offensive. Offensive. Too far. Tom, will you ask your question? All right. As always, what are we drinking today, boys? Me first. I have a diet ginger ale with gin. Which is, I'm a 70 year old woman. (laughs) (laughs) Nice drink, Gabe. Josh? Uh, Well, if you remember a couple episodes ago, I told you guys about how we had, my wife and I had our uh, ninth anniversary trip to hell, uh, otherwise known as Panama. And so to remember all those wonderful memories of puking next to the beach, I've decided to make myself a rum punch tonight. Again, Tom, you guys, what, you like, what did you guys do? Did you just go to the fridge, grab the first bottle of liquid that you could find and pour whatever the first alcohol that you could find and just mix them together? And that's what um, you guys no, Tom. You know what? A rum punch is carefully calculated with orange juice, guava, pineapple, rum, <laughs> coconut rum, and some ice. I mean, come on, man. Don't try to dress that up. I dressed it up real nice, didn't I? I, I, I actually put some thought into my drink. Uh, it's very <laughs> warm. It's very humid today. And one of my wife and I's favorite drink is a Lynchburg lemonade, which is taking some high quality lemonade. It's putting in some high quality bourbon and just a skosh of an orange liqueur uh, gives it a little bit of bite. It's a beautiful drink on a hot summer day. So if you're going to be doing a Lynchburg, not only have you called yourself Thomas, you've also used the word skosh within the first two minutes of this episode. Who even knows what that means? Skosh isn't even a real word. (laughs) Like not even a real fake word is what I mean. I'm sorry for using my real name. Let me ask you what kind of bourbon, though, because if you're going to call it a Lynchburg lemonade, there's only one distillery in Lynchburg that I know of, and you better guess which one. Oh, gosh. I don't, like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm using Maker's Mark. Is that okay? It's not from Lynchburg, so um, no, not really. What, what is from Lynchburg? It offends us Tennesseans down here, Tom. That's what I'm trying to say. What's from Lynchburg? Tennessee. What? Yeah, Lynchburg. Lynchburg, Lynchburg Tennessee is where Jack Daniels is at. I thought it was in Virginia. Oh, no. awesome. Jack Daniels, the thing that the bourbon that everybody thinks is awesome, but it's just really mass produced really well. Well, I mean, it's not good. There's better 
whiskeys. Shameless plug for Chattanooga Whiskey Company, 1816. Go get it at your local liquor store. There you go. Hey, okay. Hey, anyway. I'm on vacation, so I want to get through this episode. And here's a story about me being on vacation. Are you ready? We're ready. Does it involve alcohol? No. Well, sort of. Right. So so I'm uh, I'm back in uh, – so I was up in, in Minnesota for a wedding. Uh, my wife's best friend got married. And we're there in a lovely ceremony. And, uh, and after the ceremony, we go up and they have like the reception in a barn. Now, Minnesota in June is not that hot typically, but it was like 98 degrees and this barn had no air conditioning. And it was just straight up. Do you up know of any barns that do have air conditioning? Yeah, I'm not sure many do. One, one would think for a reception, maybe you would have it. Anyways. Uh, so we're there and I have, you know, I have a few beers. I mean, nothing crazy, but it's a wedding. So, so I had a couple of beers uh, and I thought like I drank, you know, a couple of small glasses of water in between. And so I thought I was fairly well hydrated, but basically I just sweat for like five hours in that barn during the reception. Were you doing the wedding or just attending? No, I was just attending, which was lovely uh, okay. to, to do. I never, never get to do that. So at any rate, um, we attend, go to my hotel that night, go to sleep, wake up. I feel terrible, but I'm not like hung over. I didn't get drunk or anything. But I just feel awful. But we had promised some friends that we'd stop by on the way back to my in-laws in Minnesota or in Wisconsin from Minnesota. So we get to this friend's house. We start talking for 20 minutes. And like I can feel in my stomach like things are not going well. And, uh, and so I was just like, hey, uh, Dave, I think we got to go. And I'm thinking like, hey, we'll get to a gas station. I'll take care of things. No big deal. And these are people, like, incidentally, this was the first wedding I ever did. I'm at this couple's house. It was the first wedding I ever did. And, like, like friends of ours that we haven't seen in, like, four years. And uh, and so I was just, like, real, like, 20 minutes real quick. So, anyway, so I get up. I'm, like, hey, we're going to go. And 20 like, minutes oh. real quick? That's not quick at all. That's a 20-minute visit. Yeah. Oh, 20-minute visit. Oh, yes, 20-minute visit. And, I think so you're talking about like, your gas right, station and, stop. Well, no, yeah. So I was like, well, let's go to the gas station. But as soon as we start walking towards the car, I'm like, this is not going well. So I was like, hey, can I borrow your bathroom? And I'm like trying to be real polite. And I get to the bathroom and like right as I'm about to walk in the bathroom, uh, I puked in my mouth. And and that's when I realized, you know, I had a choice. Either you, you know, swallow it or or you, you know, let it out. And uh, I let it out. Uh, and I thought I could get it in the toilet as it was happening, but it was too much. And so like I pulled up the seat as I'm doing it and it <laughs> bounced off the seat and just sprayed everything. Uh, and so it was awful. Um, and so I had to do uh, to clean that up. And I felt felt real foolish. Did you tell him or did you just like clean it up on the down? Oh, well, then I felt like a little kid because I didn't know what to do. So I asked Melissa, my wife, I was like, hey. Will you let them know I puked in the bathroom? <laughs> like right next to him, she's like, uh, "Gabe puked in their, your bathroom," and then and, uh, and then I got like some of those Lysol disinfectant wipes and and got to work. Uh, felt a lot better after that, though. That's you a, know, kind of a sad actually, story. I don't think that's really funny. Actually, I feel really, really terrible for you. Like thanks, I'm sad man. for you, Gabe. You're a friend. You're a real friend. I mean, I've kind of. It's more really... of just like I'm judging you, and I feel sorry for you. <laughs> I'll take sad. I'll take pity. Okay. I've got almost the exact same story, Gabe. We were at friend's house. So we haven't seen him in a while. And it was, again, a hot summer day kind of thing. And I hadn't drank enough water. We're, wa- we're, we're watching sports. We're doing something. I had maybe two, three beers over the course of the whole afternoon. And I don't know what it was, but same thing. I didn't feel good. And I all of a sudden, I, I needed – 
I was like, you know what? We're on our way out. Hey, same thing. Can I use your bathroom? I ended up like almost passing out in their bathroom because I was so dehydrated and then ended up destroying said bathroom other way. And then, you know, I walk out and I am just delirious. Like I'm weak. I'm still dehydrated because, you know, and they're like, dude, how much did you drink? And so I'm pretty sure they think that I just like pounded beers and things like that. You know, I was like, no, 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 no. I don't know what happened. I'm going to leave now. And that was the end of that. I feel like we're going to need to find a sister podcast that may be named Alcoholics Anonymous after listening to your two stories. Listen, it was not, we didn't drink that much. This is the dehydration, Jeff. That's what alcoholics say after they pounded like 120 beers. <laughs> I didn't drink that much. I just had three handles of tequila in <laughs> two hours. It wasn't that much. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Hey, um, listen, let's just go to a break, all right? Yeah, who are we listening to today, Gabe? Today, uh, so our guest is, uh, like myself, straight out of the ATX, and so we're going to have a musician straight out of Austin, Texas. Uh, Miss Taylor Stearns, good friend of mine, played a house show at my house. Taylor Swift? Uh, no, Stearns. Oh. Taylor Stearns, got very curly hair. She's excellent, released a new album uh, quite recently called Peaks and Arrows. Um, and uh, at any rate, here's a track from that new album. Hope you enjoy it. So love and quiet if I beckon thee to mountains high and steep Would you follow me up the path that wounds your feet And your own understanding of my ways All right, welcome back, everybody. That was T. Stearns with her new album. So hope you enjoyed that. Uh, We're going to turn it over to Josh now because Josh is going to introduce our guest who we are very excited to have. Take it away, Josh. Most of the time, Gabe and Tom don't trust me to introduce guests, but this particular one I stalked on Twitter and uh, convinced, maybe with some threatening emails, to join us on our episode tonight. We are so glad to welcome Shane Blackshear, who happens to be a blogger and also hosts the podcast Seminary Dropout, which can be found on iTunes, your podcatcher of choice, or seminarydropout.com. Now, if you don't know Shane, he served in numerous roles in the past, including college ministry. He was also the founding pastor of a small church. God bless you for that, Shane. Anyway, Shane lives in Austin, Texas with his wife, Kate, and their daughter, Margot. And Shane, I just found out something about you before I let you speak. Uh, I can't, one, believe you lived in Sacramento. Did that happen? Is that true? Very shortly, yeah. A few summers during college. Wow. Even in the summer. I'm so sorry for that. I'm from the Bay Area originally, so I'm glad you survived. Down on on the capital city then. Yeah. I mean, I went up there on a field trip one time, but I don't know if I'd ever choose to live there much in the summer. Um, But another fun fact I know about Shane is he recently built a fence. Congratulations on finishing the fence. It's it's my life's work. Wow. Yeah. So welcome, Shane, to Pine Glass Preachers tonight. And uh, for our conversation this evening, we're... Wait, wait, wait. wait. Was this like a, a fence in your backyard? Is this a mer- metaphorical fence? Is this like uh, a wall that we're building with Donald Trump? Whoa. What's going on? Whoa. Just because he lives in Texas doesn't mean he's going to build a wall to keep Mexicans out of the country, Tom. It's not what I said. You're a racist. <laughs> All good. He's making sure I'm not racist. Um, all good questions. No, our uh, 
so we just moved to a house in December and it's like at the, the house sits at the very back of the lot. So we don't have a backyard. So it's all front yard, but it wasn't fenced in. Um, and it just looked really bad. So I built this fence that's kind of, you know, it's aesthetically pleasing and, uh, you know, it's a place where we can have parties out there and my daughter can run in the grass and have some fun. I mean, it really is a good looking fence and I showed pictures of it to my wife and she was obsessed with the, she loves those little, you know, the string lights that hang across and stuff. Yeah, so. the cafe lights. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That, um, that's, that's the cherry on top right there. Yeah. Good on you. Um, well, yeah. thanks for interrupting me, Tom. I can't even remember what I was doing, but let's just I'm jump I'm sorry. I have this habit of interrupting people when they want to talk. And then it's terrible. It really more. is. No, yeah. for real though. Tonight we're talking about culture wars. And uh, we've got some pertinent topics to things have been going on recently in the United States and uh, and really, I think, impact our discussion on really how spirituality, Christianity and culture can not only interact, but, um, you know, perhaps cause and create some tension. So tonight we're going to follow a similar format as we've done in the past and kind of tackle a few different topics in a short amount of time. And uh, thank you, Shane, first and foremost, for joining us and bringing some not only credibility, but hopefully some sobriety to our conversation uh-huh. this evening. Wait, so, incidentally, speaking of sobriety, Shane, what are you drinking tonight, man? Yeah, that's, first of all, I don't know about credibility, but sobriety for sure. Um, I appreciate that. So, yeah, so, uh, you know, you guys told me what the deal was. So I went and grabbed my beer. Now, I usually, if I'm drinking beer, normally it's going to be Something pretty basic and mostly cheap. Around here, it's Lone Star. So Gabe, one of Gabe's favorites. So, but but I, I happen to have my my special occasion beer in the fridge today. So I grabbed it. Um, this is like what I'm drinking these days when I can afford it. It's called the Salty Lady. I'll hold it up for for the webcam Ooh. for you guys to see. Um, it's a uh, it's out of a brewery out of Fort Worth, and um, it's a uh, it's like a, a sour beer and it, and it is salty. Um, so it's really good for the summer days. Um, it is, it's super delicious. I think we just need to key in on the fact that we're a special occasion. I know. I like that. Absolutely. Nothing but thanks, that. Thanks for making us feel special, Shane. Shane, you like, you interviewed N.T. Wright, Rob Bell, other people that actually matter in this world, but we were called a special occasion. I am. I'm marking this day down. I I wasn't drinking any beer at all when I was talking to NT Wright. What? How special you guys are. Wow, that's amazing. Should we just stop this episode right now? I say we just let's just end it. We can't go any higher than this, boys. (laughs) Should I like pound the mic to simulate a dropping of it on the ground? Dude, amazing. Hey, well, let's get into it. Um, Shane, we are glad to have you. I just want to frame our conversation a little bit. So the reason we want to do this uh, is is man, there's like a lot going on in our culture. And, and we've, we've got this, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm not that old, but I feel like I've never seen a world more polarized right now where it's like everyone on one side really hates everyone on the other side. Everyone on this side really hates everyone on the other side. And I've been trying to think about like where that comes from and what's that about. And, and part of me, like where it kind of rang true for me recently is I read a book uh, by uh, James K. A. Smith called how not to be secular who Shane, you had, Jamie on your show, correct? I haven't had Jay- I haven't had James K. Smith on yet. No, I haven't. Oh man! All right. Well, at any rate, sorry, I guess I misread that. But at any rate, you wrote a great book. Uh, it's actually summarizing another book. That's neither here nor there. Great uh, research, in that book, What's that? 
Good research. Thanks, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm a professional. Um, but, uh, but at any rate, in, in that book, like he talks about how we live in a secular age that believers, non-believers, whatever, Christians, non-Christian, whatever, there's still just kind of this ethos of like, basically God is dead, right? Like that when Nietzsche said it like that, that was just kind of, he was just stating reality. Uh, and, and, and so kind of in that book, I came across this quote that says, uh, God is dead and we've replaced him with everybody else. Right. So, so as opposed to God kind of being the, the ultimate judge, the ultimate ruler, now everyone else is. And we kind of see this in, in uh, social media and in our conversations and that sort of thing. And, and so it's led to this like mass polarity that says like, hey, I got to be right with these people and these people got to be wrong, that this is the right judgment system and that's the wrong one. Well, and- I even think I even think, Gabe, you talk about social media, it's. It's instead of turning to when, when when bad things happen, and we're going to talk about Orlando here in just a minute. But when bad things happen, instead of turning to scripture, instead of turning to uh, to honest discussion with with each other and, and whatnot, we immediately go to Facebook or Twitter to see what everybody else says about it. To yeah. either form our own opinions, or we're going to go there so I can find someone to d- disagree with, or who can affirm my already existing opinion. Right. Right. So at any rate, I mean, I think I mean, that's obviously a massive generalization, perhaps overly simplistic. But we certainly I think we all see the polarity in our culture and we see the tensions that exist. And so I think our hope in this conversation is to say, hey, let's take some of these like heavier topics, these bigger deals. And let's see if we can find a third way forward. Let's see if we can navigate a a way in the midst of this uh, that is both truthful and both loving and gracious uh, in the midst of that. Fair enough. Awesome. Thanks, Shane. I love it. And thanks for affirming. That's the only affirmation you're getting tonight, Gabe. The only affirmation. I know. I know. know. Well, anyways, should we go to Orlando? Yeah, I think we need to go to Orlando because that's obviously the thing that's dominating the news. It's dominating our minds. Uh, Obviously a horrific tragedy. Uh, I think the first the first interesting thing that that comes to mind is the the conversation around is this a hate crime or is this terrorism? And <laughs> I, let, let's just throw it out to the group here. You know, what have you heard? What have you been talking about? How are you choosing to think about it? Josh, um, I want to say both, and only because. <laughs> I listened to NPR like I was driving to Nashville the day that it happened, and so it was all over NPR, all over the, any news station that I flipped to, and I think they made a great argument, you know, that it was like it was Latino night at the club, and um, obviously it was a terrorist act because the dude, you know, he actually pledged allegiance to ISIS at one point, but then also ironically to you know an anti-ISIL group, Al Nusra, I believe it was, and so I mean I have to say it's both, but what's really fascinating is the fact that we sort of can't discern whether or not it was distinctly one or the other. Um, I mean, given it was, a, it was an absolutely horrific crime and, and a terrible situation, but I mean, I would tend to agree that it was both a hate crime and terrorism, but I'm, I'm starting to think that those two aren't as easily distinguishable um, in a lot of the events that we're seeing, particularly in this country. Well, I think that's the, that's the interesting thing right there is that I, I, I don't think you were trying to say this, but we automatically if if the crime is perpetrated by by a muslim it's terrorism like terrorism can only happen 
if it is a Muslim perpetrating a violent act on an American, you know, or a Western person. And if it's, if it's an American doing something to somebody, then it's a hate crime, which I think in our country, we downgrade from terrorism just a little bit, even though I, I believe they're one in the same. That's what, that's what I just said. And he was an American and well, yeah. he happened to be Muslim. So yeah, thank you for making my point, Tom. Uh, well, but so you Texans, you guys are all super racist down there in Texas, aren't you? Every one of us. Yeah. Every single one. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so, um, man, what do you think? So, yeah. So, you know, I think there's, there's a lot going on there. Um, so one, I think what you guys are touching on is that I think, People of color in this country are really tired of um, when a crime is committed by a person of color, we call it uh, terrorism, right? That they had, that, that uh, you know, these people hate us, they're evil people. And when it's a white person, the narrative seems to be, um, well, this person was psychologically disturbed, right? We, uh, we look for, they were sick in the head, right? Like there was... We almost um, victimized that person. We say there's, you know, they were they were acting in the right minds, right? Yeah. Um, whereas, whereas if it's a person of color, the narrative tends to be they were in the right minds. They were just an evil person, right? Bad people. Um, yeah. And so I think that, you know, is it terrorism? Is it um, a hate crime? Uh, you know, you think you got to say, yeah, it was all done by a guy who was really confused, who had a lot of issues. Uh, you know, can a person commit such a heinous crime while being completely, all having his mental faculties about him? I don't know. Um, but I think that the, you know, the parsing out of what was he exactly, I think it's more about just the media and us as a society not being fair when it's, or not being consistent when the person is a white person or the person's a person of color. So can I ask you about that? Cause I think that's, that's an interesting point. I, I saw, you know, one of the, the greatest sources of news, uh, a meme uh, that, that had a picture. <laughs> of, uh, uh, Do you know how to make those by the way? I really want to learn how to make memes. Oh bro. It's just, there's an app. You can get it. Super. Okay. Easy. Okay. I'll yeah. do that later. Anyways. Uh, but uh, there was one, it had a picture of Timothy McVeigh, uh, the dude responsible for the, the Oklahoma city bombings. And, uh, and like someone put it out and they're like, and remember this guy who's a, a white guy who was a Christian killed 165 people or whatever it was during the Oklahoma City bombings. And, uh, and I thought like, that's fair. And then it, it hit me though as a Christian where I was like, yeah, but he wasn't really a Christian. Like, was he maybe baptized at some point or like grew up in the church or, or maybe even went to church, but it was totally whacked out or something like I, I just would be like, yeah, but that had nothing to do with him being a Christian. And so often I wonder if if uh, if Muslim folks are just like, yeah, like they can say they're Muslim, but they're just super not. You know, well, I, that- I, th- I think that's that is the argument of ninety nine point nine percent of Muslims is that they're like, are, you know, the Quran's not telling us to do this. It's, you know, I mean, I remember a conversation that I had with somebody about they had just seen this this 
Muslim speaker who turned to be a Christian. He was pointing to the fact that the Quran, you know, says, got this verse. It's like, you must kill all the infidels. And I was like, yeah, I can point to a verse in the Bible that says, hey, you know, Israelites are coming into the promised land. And God says, hey, kill everybody, you know, wipe out everybody. So if you want to just take that isolated verse and take it like, sure, we're just, it's the same thing, right. you know. And so I, I think 99.9% of Muslims will point to these guys and, and, and ISIS as a whole and say, this isn't right. This isn't what we're about. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. I think that's a really good point. And if you look at throughout history, um, there has been a lot of bloodshed in the name of Christ. Um, you know, uh, it's with, the third. It's the third sacrament. Look at the crusades. <laughs> uh, look, yeah, right. Look at the crusades, you know, um, it's. And I, you know, honestly, gosh, like to be a Christian is to have people who carry your banner do terrible things in the name of that name, right? Okay, yep. that's not happening right now at all. Right, right. Yeah, well, <laughs> definitely not at all. So, and you know, the thing is, is even if it were true, even if that was what true Islam was. What's our job as Christians? Does that change? Our job is to love people, to love uh, Muslims. So, you know, um, to say, you know, is it loving to, to say that Islam is a, as a religion of death is a hateful, um, religion. I, I don't think it's, it's not helpful. It's not productive. I don't think it's, it's loving. Um, so, you know, why, why, um, it's, you know, the whole the whole conversation is a little skewed, I guess, is what I'm trying to yeah. say. And I'm so glad you brought that up because as someone who grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area, and, and I've told people this a lot, um, you know, most of my really good friends in high school were actually Muslim and Afghani and Pakistani and all this kind of stuff. And so when, when I was a sophomore in high school, that's when 9-11 happened, and I witnessed firsthand my brown-skinned friends from these Middle Eastern countries being not only profiled but prejudiced against – like immediately by not just Americans of various ethnic, you know, identities, but a, a lot by Christians that were lumping these friends of mine who were incredibly peaceful people. I'd hung out with their families. I got to their graduation parties of their of their older brothers and sisters. Like I knew these families. I knew they were just completely nonviolent. Did not support in any sort of way the actions of, you know, the nine eleven. Uh, you know, conspirators and all that kind of stuff. And it just blows my mind how we're so evil, easily able to correct <clears throat> that, that reality that you were talking about, Shane, as far as like, we're just sort of, we're supposed to love uh, unconditionally. And we like throwing that around at church on Sunday mornings when it makes us feel better or, you know, helps us to kind of get by or, uh, you know, sort of like overcome the deficiencies in our own lives. Yet when it comes to our neighbors, those who actually live around us, no matter the crimes they commit, it all of a sudden becomes an impossible task, which is just complete and utter crap. Yeah. You know? I mean, I, I think we see this repeated over and over and over again in, in, in history. I mean, you had World War II and anyone who was Japanese or of German descent was immediately looked upon with, with skepticism. And then all of a sudden you get into the 70s and 80s with the Cold War. And if your last name ended with SKI, you know, you were immediately thought of as, as red and communist. And, you know, we don't want you around here, this kind of thing. And so, I mean, this is just history repeating itself over and over and over again. 
uh, I was part of a conversation. I was part of a Bible study where uh, it was you guys were racist and oh, all people with their last name ending in SKI, Tom. No, it was it was anybody who had brown skin and anyone who identified with the Muslim faith. And it, it, it just the way that they were talking about Muslims reminded me of every single movie I've seen about 1950s and 60s America, where you got a bunch of white people sitting in a barber shop saying, I ain't going to let no black guy play on my football team kind of thing. You know, it was just ridiculous. Yeah. It was like, I am reliving, like, I thought we were past, like, I, I'm not naive enough to think that there aren't racist people anymore, but I really thought we were past the point of like, you know, associating one thing, you know, 9-11 or whatever with the entire race. You know, I thought we were past that, and we're clearly not. Dude, can I ask them about that? Because, I, I mean, agreed, frustrating. And then I, I look at, like, I mean, you guys have probably seen this, like, on Facebook, social media, whatever. Uh, people post videos of these pastors, like, there's one up in Fort Worth, there's one out in California, who are saying these really, like, awful sermons where they're like, hey, it's really great that 49 people in the LGBT community got killed. The world's a lot better because of that. And, like, <laughs> it's just this terrible crap. And, like... And I feel like anyone with a brain, any Christian with a brain is like, obviously, this is just nonsense. But like I have Christian friends that that share these links and are like, this is not what it's about. And I'm kind of like, I get what they're trying to do. And that's nice. But I'm kind of like, can we just not bring those guys up? Like, let's not make them the bell of the ball. Like, I just I don't want them having anything to say right now. I have. um, Man. Yeah, Gabe. It's funny you say that. Um I have felt, you remember the guy, who's the guy with like the backwards ball cap who had went on the rant about Starbucks? You know, you know what I'm talking about? He looks like Kevin James, you know, he was, <laughs> he made that yeah. big thing about car, Starbucks, like changing their cups and saying that they were anti Christmas. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I would have, I would have never heard about that if Christians weren't sharing yeah. it and saying like this yeah. guy, blah, blah, blah. And, and I had the same reaction you did. And then when I saw those pastors um, saying those awful things about Orlando, that was my immediate reaction. Yep. But then, honestly, I thought, um, here's, here's why it's different for me. Um, there, are, there are folks in the LGBT community who don't know that 99% of Christians look at that and roll their eyes. Yeah. And I need, in fact, like after Orlando, one of them on Facebook, like tagged me in a post. Um, Gotta love that. And I, that guy needs to know that that's not my Jesus. Yeah. And, and they need to hear me say it. And, I, and I'm with you. Like maybe yeah. there's people who never would have heard that guy if I hadn't shared it on there. But I think it's more important that my friends, that my uh, LGBT friends, see that I'm calling that out and that I'm not being silent about it. Gotcha. No, that's fair. That's a good point. You know, and I think one of the str- with that, I think one of the struggles is that you know there are certain brands of Christianity uh, that that don't subscribe to the LBGT community, that, that, that way of life. But at the same time, like you're saying, don't condone 
this type of, of action against them or the rhetoric that is being that is being circulated right now. Uh, and, and that's one of the, the big cruxes of, of, of this kind of faith conversation, but that this kind of violence is not, it's never not okay. acceptable. Yeah. It, yeah, it's well, not acceptable in any way. Well, and, and you know, from what I've observed, it's like the most frustrating aspect of this whole conversation and everything, the aftermath of what happened to me, at least in Christendom is like, so from a theological perspective, yeah, I, I don't support LGBTQ lifestyles. Like I just don't. But at the same time, I would never say that this is somehow like judgment against homosexuality by God. You know, I mean, I'm just not going to say that because I don't believe that to be true. But what's really frustrating to me is like I would be the people like if I was in Orlando uh, or if something like that were to happen in Chattanooga, I would straight up come out and like I'd be out, you know, giving blood or, you know, just like in the streets, like with the victims of this horrendous crime. And I would hope that at least I would be respected for that, albeit having a different theological perspective. But what's really frustrating to me is then how the Christian church is split over something like this, because I've seen like your hardcore, you know, Southern Baptists uh, who, who are typically outspoken about this. You've got your, you know, quote unquote, progressive Christians and, you know, whatever. Um, and they're coming at each other. And then all of a sudden they're getting into like beefs with one another and fighting with one another on Twitter, on Facebook, being like, well, you don't actually mean it that you're sorry for what happened. You don't actually mean that you love these people or that, that you're just as, you know, um, upset by this egregious act as I am. And, you know, what I find difficult and what I find hard to believe is like the fact that we've become so polarized, at least within the church, that even in the midst of a hate crime, a terrorist attack, whatever you want to classify it as, that the love that at least you spoke of, Shane, like when it comes out, that also becomes this point of contention or leverage for, you know, posturing or leverage for argumentation. You know what I mean? Because like I mean, I, I can name a few. I'm not going to, but I look at some of these Twitter, you know, back and forth conversations. I'm thinking to myself, like, you guys are both Christians. How is it that you guys are now stealing the spotlight from what happened because of a little theological or doctrinal beef between the two of you? Yeah. Well, yeah. I, and I'll take it away from the theology piece here just for a second. The um, thing is, you don't know anything about theology because you didn't go to seminary. Yes, it is, it is actually. I am. Okay. I, I I know that Jesus is cool, and yep. that the Bible says something about him. Very good. Very good. Yes. By the way, friends, for those of you listening, when Josh and I make jokes about that, it's tongue in cheek. <laughs> All right, go on, Tom. Just because I know about Jesus. Um, what I can't stand is that you know. Josh, you just talked about people who are using this example to immediately leverage this for their own theological beef. I, I'm equally upset with people who take this immediately to the Second Amendment and like, I'm going to use this platform to tell you how awesome guns are or how they aren't. I, I mean, I think this is a great opportunity to say, hey, maybe we should rethink you know, people being able to own AR-15s. The, the the craziest email that I or Facebook post that I saw was this Facebook post about AR-15s and how it's not a weapon, it's a rifle, and that you know it doesn't matter this and this. And it blew my mind 
that and that's probably a really bad pun right there but it was terrible it, it just it, it it was astounding to me how they were defending the weapon that this killer used and basically saying no 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 no, no. this was the ar-15 isn't used to kill people we use it for target practice and and and, and hunting i was like you know what the ar stands for right it stands for assault rifle and I, I would challenge you, all of you listeners, I would challenge you to, to Facebook us or, or hit us up on Twitter. Have you ever used the, the word assault when it doesn't mean the proactive violence against another human being? Have you ever used the word assault in another term, in another way? I'm going to go out and assault some targets today. Hey, deer, it's November. That means it's assaulting deer time. No, it's deer hunting time. You know, like, come on. Yeah, but listen, MSNBC, um, like, <laughs> take it down a notch. Well, they, they do subscribe, actually. So let's not listen. They listen. Oh, sorry. Hey, sorry, Rachel Maddow. It's Maddock, Maddow. I always mess it up. Nobody cares. Doesn't matter. All right. Uh, but, I mean, the argument on the other side is, hey, man. It's it's our right as Americans. It's it's in our constitution. It's the deal. So yep. you don't like it, don't live here, Tom. You know, and that's the thing. I'm not anti-gun. I'm cool with you guys, with everyone having hunting rifles and shotguns and even handguns. I'm cool with that. I'm not a pacifist. But th- the idea that hey, let let me own whatever I want. That then my same argument is let me drive as fast as I want. Let me do whatever drugs I want. Don't make it illegal for that. And then the immediate argument back is, oh, that's bad for you. Well, guess what? AR-15s are bad for children in schools. That's my argument. The red herrings are flopping out of the lake right now, and the straw men are blowing in the wind, Tom. Good job. (laughs) You succeeded. You sound like a libertarian, actually. Well, you know, it's an argument that, you know, I'll, I'll have this argument. In fact... I was having an argument with with my uncle on Saturday, last Saturday night or two Saturdays ago um, about the Second Amendment. He huh. is a veteran, two tours in Iraq. Um, I'm a, my cousin who was there, three tours. Um, I respect them for their service. I respect them for for what they believe in. Uh, we have vastly differing views on on firearms and what people should own. And we're having a discussion. We had like a three hour discussion on this. And I wake up the next morning. I come out into the hotel lobby and my uncle's sitting there and I jokingly come up to him and I say, Hey, your son's getting married in two weeks at the wedding. Let's go for amendments three through 10, you know? And he just looks at me and he points to the TV. I see the TV. I see what happened in Orlando. And I just look at him and I'm like, tell me how I didn't win that argument last night. Then what did he say? He just kind of looked at me and I was like, and, and you know, I mean, I mean, I don't know how long we're going to spend on the Second Amendment, but wouldn't his argument be, well, if someone in that club had an AR-15, you know, what stops a bad guy with a gun, a good guy with a gun? Yep, yep, I, and, and I know. I, I realize that, and there's no, there's no good solutions to this, but... Said I, like a true Texan, Gabe. Said like a true Texan. Oh, Guns you know, I, and stars. I just look at look at other countries who have stricter gun gun control laws, and they don't have the monthly school shootings that we have or the mall shootings or anything like that. And I guess at the end of the day, all I really want to see is when something like Orlando happens, I would like my extremely right leaning friends. I would like to see the NRA just for a minute say, Hey, this was a terrible tragedy. And 
this is a bad deal. We do need to we do need to engage in conversation about how we how we fix this problem instead yep. of immediately jumping to oh AR 15s they're they're actually good. I mean, can, yeah. can we can just we stop for a minute for a second? Yeah, yeah. And I think Tom's fake upset voice is a good point to stop talking about this right now. <laughs> Perfect. Let's do it. Uh, let's move on to uh, uh, nothing uh, n- nothing lighter or anything like that. We're going to move to the Stanford rape case. I, I, I don't think there's any argument here. I think there's only three people on this planet who are out of touch with with what happened there. I think there is the raper, which I'm not going to use any other term than that. He is a raper, and that's what he is. And the raper's dad, who is completely out of touch with this world. And then uh, Judge McApathy, which I don't even know his name, but the the guy who said, hey, you need six months in jail, and that's it. I think those are the only three people out of touch in this world, and everybody else agrees with how terrible this is. Uh, Shane, I want to, uh, I'll direct this to you. Uh, first question off the bat. <laughs> if, Shouldn't you feel privileged, Shane? We're talking about rape. So, Hey here man, we go. here we go. Lob this one up there for you. If this was your son who committed this horrific act, how would you feel? What would you do? How, what would be your reaction? Wow. Um, well, I guess I would wonder where I went wrong. I would probably know where I went wrong. Um, you know, I, I think that this, to me, underscores why it is important to talk about with our kids in our churches what the proper place for sex is in our life. Um, and I think that... Biblically, it's supposed to be uh, one like a mutually enjoyable thing. And I think that um, somebody has to be conscious to enjoy it. Um, so, yeah, I think um, I think for the Christ follower, we have to ask, you know, one, um, are we culpable in this? Like, have we contributed to the conversation negatively in any way? Um, and you know, we're a nation, um, we're not a Christian nation, but we are a nation where a lot of people profess to follow Christ. And so then we have to ask when we have these social problems, um, what part have we taken in it? And so I I think that not examining where, you know, where, um, where the proper place that God made sex in our life for um not having that conversation has been detrimental to us um and then you know the whole we have in the last you know well traditionally we've done the whole you know true love weights thing which i'm um, all about i love that um but it's it's become really reductive when the conversation about sex should be a lot more robust um and this conversation about dignity and, um, you know, the way God, the way Jesus disrupts a patriarchal system where men are in control, men are in charge. Um, I think we've neglected that, too, just to talk about the way that Jesus doesn't tolerate that. 
um, the way that even, you know, Paul elevates the role of women. Um, so let me, can I uh, pick wait. up that a little bit, Jay? I mean, I, I agree with what you said so far. You, you mentioned, though, you know, we look at uh, a horrific situation like this, and you say as Christ followers, it's important for us, and, and forgive me if I'm mis-summarizing you here, uh, but it's important for us to sort of see what what our fault is in that or, or where we we missed it. Like, like what no, do you no, mean I, that? I, I think it's bigger than that because it's not incumbent on well, the— just, well, just let Shane talk. Let Shane talk. So like—, like, like No, what's, I want to talk. No. Quiet, Tom. <laughs> um, no, no, no. So like what what do you mean by that? Like, like in what way— like like. I am for the record against rape uh, and, and uh, I've preached against it, you know, like, like very much against it. Uh, so it's hard for me to say, well, what, what role do I play in this? What role, what, what exactly do I need to examine in myself? Um, I think that, that like, I, I, you know, it's not like we can look at, hopefully not, it's not like we can look at some sermon where some pastor's like, yeah, maybe rape's okay or something like that, right? <laughs> but I think what I'm saying is in a nation where I don't I don't know what's the stat, like how, what do you guys, how many guys think what's the population of, of professing Christians, whether or not we think they're telling the truth? Right. 75% is yeah, the yeah, sure. I throw around. So a culture in which in this nation it, it allows for a, a person to think that it is okay to rape a girl that's unconscious. Um, or, or conscious. Well, right. But in this case, she, I mean, we're talking about this case. She was unconscious, right? Right. right. Yep. But in this case, she was unconscious. Um, where at, at the very least, where have we failed to speak into culture mm-hmm. um, so so that there's an environment where that seems okay? Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 Well, and I and I think one of the things that I've heard many because like my mother-in-law was sexually abused as a child and has done some incredible work, especially out in Arizona uh, with anti-sex trafficking coalitions, et cetera. And one of the things, a, a common refrain that she would hear that, I, I mean, I hate to say it, but I hear it a lot also is this blame placed on the woman. You know what I mean? Like, well, she shouldn't have gotten drunk or somehow she should have known there was a roofie in her drink or she shouldn't have let like this dude just like beat her or overpower her or she shouldn't have let a bunch of guys like abduct her you know what i mean and i and i don't know if i have the answer because for some reason at least in american culture but i I would say that it's almost a global epidemic that we've that we've continued we, we put the blame but we also continue to place the blame on the victim of rape cases more than ever on the actual perpetrators of race. And I think this 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 particular case at Stanford only goes to prove it. Like the dude gets six months in jail. Like, I'm not gonna lie. I hope he gets shanked when he's in prison. You know what I mean? Like, I hope some dude uses a sharpened, melted down toothbrush and stabs him in the throat. <laughs> you said it. You or said it. But what I'm saying is, you know what I mean? Like I, I would say that the common refrain is that it's the blame is placed on the victim. Um 
it, it certainly has been at least the way it's played out in this case and or uh, in terms of the punishment that's been dealt. Uh, but I think in, in most situations when it comes to rape, it's sort of like the victim had either had or should have had ways to avoid the situation and somehow the perpetrator is isn't to blame or you know it has almost become the victim in the case. Yeah. So I think that part of what you're speaking to is we've kind of um, it's it's almost as if we've said, hey, boys are going to be boys, so girls, you need to protect yourself. And we've said that um, in a way that it's okay for for men to do those things, right? And so I think it comes from that from that notion. And so again, like we failed to speak into the culture and to sometimes even teach our own, um, you know, the, the proper role of sex. And, um, and then I think we've also failed to emphasize the value of, uh, of women, of female, to, to recognize the image of Christ in women a lot of times that, that again, um, would put them on the defensive, would blame them for crimes perpetrated against them. But the, the thing that I was going to say before Gabe, like wouldn't let me speak is that it's not incumbent on Christians to make this happen. This is something that's epidemic across all faiths, all non-faiths, all people that we, we, we continue to have this all the things that we just said are true, but it's not just true of Christians. It's true of everybody. And it's not just Christians to solve this problem. It's everybody. Yeah. But and, if, if I'm understanding Shane's point here, man, it's like, but Christians, we have the prophetic voice, like whether or not anyone wants to listen to us, we're called to have the prophetic voice. You know what I mean? Wait, so, yeah. Well, and, and I think you're right, Gabe, but what makes it so difficult is because of our, <laughs> and I, you know, I'm going to overgeneralize Christianity in America, uh, but because of our own stupidity and our own just outlandish commentary, we've given everyone else the 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 permission to dismiss that prophetic voice. You know what I mean? Like, no one's gonna. Yeah, if we came out with a with a, a I don't even want to say orthodox, but with a a Christian view of sexuality and said, hey. This is why rape is not okay. This is why we need to value women. This is why we need to, you know, put sex and sexual relationships within context of biblical values. The first thing that's going to happen, at least now, in terms of culture and the war that we have at times between Christianity and culture, is just dismissal. You know what I mean? So it's like we sort of shot ourselves in the foot because we we don't really have the platform or even the the credible leverage to say. Uh, hey, we're actually against this because we've had so many poor representations of, of, of how scripture actually speaks about sexuality and the interrelationship between men and women. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you, Tom. Did you have more? No, no, we're good. I, can't, I, I feel like we're at a place where we all agree rape is bad. That Christians have a fantastic uh, place in this world to to be talking about this and to be leading the charge, if you will, on on not only denouncing acts like this, but also lifting up uh, women or the victims. Let's not kid ourselves that rape is only male to female, but then but then that that we 
it's about values and and how Christ looks at us as people and how he loves us. And so I think we can we can all stay there, right? Agreed. And I guess it sounds a lot like terrible lyrics to a Christian song um, as how no. he loves. That's our next episode. That's our next episode, Josh. Don't jump ahead. Loves this is where we fall off the rail, Shane, is where these two start singing their songs, and that's where we go. When you're like, on your last third or fourth beer at this point in the podcast, right? That's, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you need to be a lot more salty with that salty lady, Shane, to endure <laughs> tell you. Hey, we well, while we're talking about boys and girls, let's uh, move it in to uh, what has been a super fun conversation in our culture the last, feels like forever, but I guess it's probably just been three, four months. Uh, but transgender bathrooms, bathroom wars, 2016. Um, Wait, what do you think, man? Is this? I like, heard anything about that. What What does that even mean? What's this going on? Oh, oh my, my gosh. gosh! Oh my gosh! Do you guys have news in Tennessee? Or I mean, nope. We're all like barefoot and we're overalls. We or... communicate via Morse code. That's what and, we do in South. And illiterate. I, that's what I thought. Yep. We just got pencils. <laughs> uh, so. So, Tom, the first question you wrote here, I'm just going to read it because I think it's kind of interesting. You wrote, are we making too big a deal out of this? Answer. <laughs> and he runs away. Uh, like, <laughs> wait, I wrote that? Oh, no. I, oh, I don't even want to talk about that. My bad. No, you know, I wrote that because I, you know, I live in Minneapolis, home of, of Target. Uh, Target's kind of leading the... Uh, uh, kind of leading the charge on on this. They've had the most prolific cases of, you know, right away, as soon as they said, hey, we don't care what bathroom you go into, uh, you know, and all, like, right away, they had, like, 100 cases of men just walking into women's bathrooms just to... Were those actually be legit? Because I would see reports of that, and I was sort of skeptical. But I, I, I don't know, but, like, I, I, I think... I, I think it speaks to the point of, you know, all targets have the family bathrooms. And to me, I'm just, I, I just think just make the bathroom transgender slash family bathrooms. Just do that. And we'd all be fine. You know, you know? I'm, I'm kind of curious um, because I, I've got a limited, you know, circle of conversations, but Shane, I mean, you've interviewed on seminary dropout, like a huge number of, let's just say really important people in terms of Christian voices, uh, far more than I think Gabe or Tom and I have. And I'm just like, I'm just curious. I mean, I don't know if this is something that's come up or it's has been, uh, intentionally avoided or, you know, whatever, but like with, with the people, cause, cause you, you interview people from a, a wide spectrum of Christianity. I mean, what's the general consensus, if any, or just sort of thoughts, or is it, is it just as diverse as, uh, as I mean, a lot of the stuff that we're hearing via social media today. Oh gosh. Um, <laughs> I mean, is it something that I've talked to any of my guests about? No. I mean, this really wasn't an issue that any of us were talking about, you know, more than like what, three months ago. Yeah. Pretty quick. Um, you know, so yeah, I think my sense from the Christians that I fit in with and hang around with is that they probably feel a lot like you do. Um, 
maybe some have a conservative Christian ethic and some don't, but that we're not being very loving on this issue and that that's a greater concern than whether or not transgender persons could use bathrooms of the gender they identify with. Um, and I think that's where I come down on it. Um, there's a, I think what I find most disturbing is that there are Christians who feel like the world is their domain to dictate what other people can and cannot do. Um, so, you know, my thing is, if I am, if I'm that disturbed by um, a transgendered woman going into a bathroom that my wife or daughter might be in, um, if it really bothers me that much, then as a Christian, my my I think my response would be to love that person um, and to just not use Target bathrooms and that like is that. Right. Are we really are we really suffering that much because we can't go to the bathroom in one store in America? Right. Um, and to but to not attack that person, um, right. to love that person. So, um, you know, personally, it doesn't bother me that much that um, that a transgender person might be in the bathroom I'm in or the bathroom my wife or daughter are in. Um, but but I don't. I don't, um, I don't shame other Christians that are bothered by that. I think my response is, well, then you need to, um, to step aside. You need to lay down your life for them. What a concept for a Christian. What? No. I think one of the, I think one of the problems in this conversation is let's just set aside whatever you think about, uh, LGBT transgender issues or whatever someone who is truly transgender, who truly identifies as a, a male, but they were born female or, or vice versa. And they come into the bathroom. I believe that that person doesn't have any ill will or, or anything like that. I think where, where the, the struggle comes is this kind of loosey goosey, like, man, I feel like a woman today. And I kind of feel like a man today. And then you can kind of go into whatever bathroom and that's, I think where, where people are having the problems of it's, it's scarier than when your little girl is in the bathroom and you have a guy saying, man, I kind of feel like a, like a girl today and I'm going to go into this bathroom. And, and I think that's where the concern comes from. But I think the danger is how can you even tell? Like when I go, let's just use target for an example. When I got to go use the restroom at target, it's not like I'm looking at everyone in the bathroom, and most of the times I've got one of my sons with me who I know is going to drop his pants around his ankle and is be standing there with his behind hanging on out. You know, and I'm just like, oh god, here we go. Someone's going to see this dude's little white butt. You know what I mean? Like, oh. so that that's sort of the thing. Like, <laughs> while I'm not necessarily convinced that this is like some type of you know monumental civil rights issue. I still think that we're blowing it up too much, especially as Christians. Like, who, who even notices? You know what I mean? Like, am, am I going to be looking for the dude with the camera or the chick with the camera? You're like, no, because I don't think that 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 happens on the vast majority of situations, nor nor will it. You know what I mean? I think that's just like attributed to our paranoid, almost Christian culture. Um, 
you know, kind of like you said earlier, Shane, about like, we think this is sort of like our dominion, you know what I mean? And we kind of get to rule the roost. And so we're going to let our paranoia of slipping control dictate the way that we then interact with people in something as menial as a bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I think the, the situation that you're talking about, Thomas, I think that's kind of been that I think from what I've heard on the news, that's kind of the line from the conservative side is we're afraid sexual predators are going to just go into whatever bathroom they can. Um, well, I mean, Target had, I mean, that, that was the news story. Target had within the first week, they had 200 documented cases of people who went in and, you know, just because they could now and, and they were peeping Tom's, they, they were, they were individuals who were up to no good. And so that's, I, I think that's what the conservative right lashed onto and said, see, 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 this is the bad thing, I- ignoring the 18 million other examples that weren't that way. Did you see a, like a credible source saying that? that no, that... I don't check my sources. Come on, Shane. Uh-huh. I mean, well, I mean, honestly, I just ask because it sounds like an email forward I might get from my grandmother. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it? It does. Don't take offense to that. I, I, I think it's important if that's true. Uh, it, it is. Um, no, I, I, I do. I do think I read it on. I mean, I can't tell you what it was for. At this but point, I just but. think that I think that there are some people who who were saying that that's what they were afraid of, and I'm just not quite buying it. I'm not quite buying that that's really what they're afraid of. Um, and what, what are they afraid of? I think they're just afraid of transgendered folks being in the bathroom with them. I think I think they're they're afraid of um, they're afraid of losing a culture war. Yeah. I also think there's a, there's a little bit of psychology of being in the bathroom is the most vulnerable state you can possibly be in. I mean, how many times have you been in the bathroom and someone comes up and tries to open the door of the stall that you're in and you freak out? It's the worst, right? Even though like, you know, in college we all did the naked half mile, you know, nobody cares about that. But when you were not all of us, when you are sitting in a stall, mom, I didn't do that. Okay, I'm just generalizing. Janet, your son's reputation is ruined. Um, I did. I did, mom. You did that a lot, Gabe. No, but actually, I, I think, you know, Shane, it's inter- uh, I, I like how you said that the that I think the fear. I, I agree. The fear is losing a culture war, and it goes back to something else that you mentioned in terms of laying down our lives. And as Christians, why are we so afraid to lose a culture war when we were never commanded or called to dominate the culture in the first place. And I think that that's such an American Christian thing to say that we need to have this nation under God, the Christian God, and so therefore some type of caliphate, you know, and and it goes all the way back to our very first, you know, situation we were talking about with Orlando. Like we, we can't stand as Christians in judgment of all of Islam when we essentially are calling for a Christian caliphate in America. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, it reminds me of the scripture, um, you know, that says, you know, if I speak in tongues, but have not love, you know, if I do all these things, but have not love. Um, and I think it's like, I I think I fear that Jesus is going to come back and say, Hey, like I called you to love the world. And, 
Um, but all these people are just convinced that you hate them. And, and we're going to say, hey, but we won the culture war, Jesus. Um, and he's going to say, but did you, but where was the love? What, where did, did you love people? Um, and, and our irony is, is that we lose the culture war anyway. So we right. just lose and we have people hating us. So it's a lose-lose all, all around. The plus side is, though, if Jesus comes back and asks that question, the Black Eyed Peas will be his soundtrack. <laughs> I was just going to make that a comment. Uh, um, I all right, moving it. along, we got our final topic. Let's bring it in. Uh, recently, two, uh, two significant celebrities uh, passed away this past year. Uh, certainly, I'm sure there's been more, but perhaps most notably have been uh, Prince and Muhammad Ali. David Bowie? Seriously? We're going to leave David Bowie off this list? That happened in 2015. No way, dude. Was it 2016? I'm almost positive. Okay, the the point is... If only someone were in front of their computer right now. I know. They don't have the internet. Actually, David Bowie kind of comes into this conversation, too. January 10th. January 10th, 2016. January. False. Okay, sorry. You culture war, Gabe, automatically. Living in Minneapolis... Where Prince res- had his home, I mean, we had people literally wailing in the streets over the death of Prince. And I get it. He was phenomenal. And he changed music. And so did David Bowie. And all sorts of artists can owe their careers and their sound and everything to Prince. And then we have. Muhammad Ali die and it takes over it takes over every news medium not just sports but but <laughs> our mainstream media our lamestream media everything and when I look at it I, I I see I see Prince and Muhammad Ali who both did good things Muhammad Ali was a great was a great uh, athlete he did some things around uh, around race and and racial equality but but he's no Martin Luther King, and it's, and we are just deifying these two people. A- am I off my rocker? Shane, shut him down. <laughs> um, I, mean, I, wasn't, I wasn't alive when Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, died, but... Um, you're the only one, Tom, because you're super old. <laughs> um, you're looking good for however old you must be. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's like I really seven. do. It's I like really Benjamin do. Button. It's weird. <laughs> um, yeah. So what? So is a question. You know, are people overzealous? Let, let, let me give you. A, let me give you a little more concrete. Uh, Louisville, Kentucky, lowered all of the American flags down to half staff in honor of Muhammad Ali. That right is reserved for people who served in the military and people who have served our government. Muhammad Ali, who famously dodged the draft, gets the flag lowered. It, it, that doesn't compute to me. He was a great athlete. I get that. If Mike, Michael Jordan was the athlete that I grew up with, the person that I had his jerseys and his posters and his b- basketball cards, and I love Michael Jordan. I wanted to be Michael Jordan. But if Michael Jordan dropped over dead tomorrow, 
I'm not going to be wailing in the streets. I'm not going to be demanding that the flag be lowered to half staff because he won six championships. But you wouldn't be like upset, Tom, if someone lowered a half a flag to half mast. You know what I'm yes, saying? I, yes, I would. Like, you're so I, angry I about this. He's upset about it. He'd be upset if it was lowered for Michael Jordan, even though he wants to be like Mike. Yeah, I would. I, I think I think like it's dis, I think it's dishonoring the people who have served and get that special honor, and it's lowered for someone who boxed real good. So the draft is an honor being like commanded to serve your country in military services an honor necessarily. I'm saying that the, the lowering of the American flag is reserved for, I mean, it is written in our laws. It is reserved for people who have served in the military, not Muhammad Ali. It is reserved for people who have served our country not Muhammad Ali, or, or, or by presidential decree. The president can say, you know what, this person didn't serve in the military, this person didn't serve in our, in our, in our, uh, in our government, but they did something so great that I will decree that the flag should be lowered. The president did not decree that the flag should be lowered for Muhammad Ali. So why should Louisville do that? So you pretty much hate Muslims. That's what you're saying, Tom. Yes, I do. No, I mean, wow. that's, that's not it at all. I, I, I just think it, it, it just with Prince and Ali and even David Bowie to, to some extent, it just looked like we are completely deifying people who did good things, but not, not on that level. Am I wrong? I think you're the most angry. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. I, I think it is weird, like, when – so the one – oddly enough, the one I, like, was most bummed about passing was David Bowie. Uh, so you can tell because I remembered when it happened. And, um, and I just – I don't know. To me, part of it is, like, I think our culture just doesn't know how to handle death. Like, we do not know how to deal with death. We can't face death. We don't know how to – to confront the reality of it. We don't have a theology of death. Uh, and, and so people just don't know what to do. And so they just kind of throw everything out there. Shane, people can't see you, but I can see you nodding your head at my brilliance. Uh, do you want to, um, <laughs> do, do you want to tag, tag onto that at all? Well, I just thought that was a really good point. I think you're right. I think that, um, culture doesn't know what to do with death. Um, and frankly, a lot of Christians don't know what to do with death either. Um, yeah. So I think that that's, I think that that's a lot of it. But I think that, um, you know, maybe like to, in a certain extent, why is it shocking that a culture or that people who don't know the redemptive saving love of Jesus don't know what to do with death and do some weird things surrounding death? Um, yeah. you know, to extend, I think that's, that seems about right, you know, to be expected, which begs a question. And I think it's, it might be a good place to end this conversation on all these topics tonight is, so what do you guys think? Do Christians win or lose the culture wars? That's not a softball I'm lobbing up or anything. Shane, like, do they, or should they, uh, both. <laughs> give me both. Cause I have a feeling I know what the answer is going to be. I know my answer. 
Shane, you go first. You're the guest. Oh, okay. Thanks. Answer, do they or should yeah. they? AKA, let's throw you under the bus before we conclude yep. our conversation. <laughs> do, we, do we lose the culture war? We, we seem to always lose the culture war, right? Um, we maybe hold off for a long time, but, um, but, you know, whatever it is, we seem to always lose in the end, right? Um, should we lose the culture war? Um, we should hang up the white flag of the culture war and give up and lay our lives down for our neighbors. Um, we should make it our first priority that uh, our friends in the LGBTQ community know that we love them, um, that before we would shoot a bullet at them, we would take one for them. Um, we should be having these people over for these people. This is not a good term to use, by the way. Uh, <laughs> we should be having people with whom we disagree with over for dinner at our houses at night and break bread with them. Um, we should love on their kids and let them love on our kids and um, lay our lives down for them. The end. The end. The end. Tom, we're not going to let you answer because you'll probably ruin it. Actually, I'm not going to ruin it. I'm going to, I'm going to quote somebody who's very near and dear to me. I, uh, a woman who I, who I've got connected with here in the cities. And she has a quote that she says, you can't out fund culture. And she uses it in context of the church, trying to fight against culture just in a fun way and things like that. But I think also the church is never going to win against against what's in our face all the time, which is where we started this conversation of always being on our phone. You know, it, we will take anything else before we go to scripture. And, and as Christians, I think we're called to first seek God to first look at, at what he has to say. And, and what he has to say is always counterculture and people might not like it. And it's not always the easiest path, but at the end of the day, um, we have a saving, we, we have the saving grace in Jesus Christ. You know, so, that reminds me about a t-shirt my dad used to have that he got from our promise keepers yeah. uh, event. You know, that one with like all the fish that's like go against a flow and it's like a barracuda. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I kind of agree, but yeah. pretty much. Yeah. Cool. I mean, we, we lose a culture war. We always do. Cause we're it's just, we just do. And yeah. we, we should lose the culture war. Uh, otherwise we're just, trying to pursue some sort of, you know, Israeli theocracy from back in the day. That's just not going to happen again. And I'm pretty sure I'm going to go out on a limb here, but the kingdom of God requires uh, death and sacrifice prior to triumph and privilege and victory. Come on, church. Well, hey, I'm going to close this out. We, we got a break we're going into. Once again, our good friend Taylor Stearns is uh, bringing you some beautiful music. Uh, we hope you guys like it. Check it out. We'll be back to wrap it up. Uh, thanks. With my thoughts.
again, that was Taylor Stearns. Be sure to check out her album, Peaks and Arrows. Awesome stuff. Uh, and uh, hey, man, we are just going to wrap up with a few last thoughts. Uh, any generalizations? Tom, you got any wisdom you want to lay on us? No, I think we we covered some pretty deep uh, subjects. There's a lot of things going on in the world right now. Um, I think there's a lot of things that we need to examine and and continue to talk about. I, I think we shouldn't be afraid to talk about these these topics around the water cooler uh, with our friends at the pub as we are, you know, we have to engage in these conversations. Awesome. And hey, uh, Shane, would you mind, man, as we wrap up, could you just share a little bit with our, our good listeners, Tom's mom, my mom, and two other people, uh, just... Uh, a little bit about your podcast, what you do, sort of 30 seconds, what that looks like, because we'd love folks to listen to you and, and uh, just celebrate what you're doing. Oh, uh, yeah. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. Um, so my podcast is called Seminary Dropout. Uh, I am literally a seminary dropout, but really the title is a metaphor for the show. Um, I'm, I have some I'm really I'm lucky enough to talk to some really high level scholars um, and but it never rises above the level that, uh, that the average churchgoer can't understand what we're talking about. So it's a little bit seminary. It's a little bit dropout. Um, and then I get to talk to just a bunch of fun people too, musicians as well. Um, you know, John Foreman from Switchfoot, you know, get people like that. There's really fun to talk to. So it's all an interview format. Um, I would say if anybody's been a Christian for even just a small amount of time, you've probably read or heard a sermon from or listened to one of somebody that I've interviewed in the past. So then go to Seminary Dropout and check out the guest list there. And uh, yeah, subscribe on iTunes. Thanks. Thanks, Shane is is a competitive person. Uh, You are what we aspire to. So look out. Here we come. We're competing. (laughs) I wouldn't be too worried, though. I certainly would not be too worried. But uh, we certainly want to give you a shout out. So everyone go check out seminarydropout.com. Uh, you can find it on iTunes uh, and I'm sure a plethora of other podcasting services. Uh, also, Janet, thank you for your continued support. Nothing like Tom's mom, Janet O'Neill, to help us keep this thing afloat. So Janet, shout out to you. I'm sorry for your son, by the way. I've never <laughs> said that before, but I've been needing to for a few episodes now. She's not sorry. She loves me. Uh huh. And if you're in the <clears throat> Austin, Texas area and want to stalk Shane or visit Gabe, um, well, you know you're in the land where every bathroom is transgender. So feel comfortable, make yourself available, and you know what? Just let loose. All right, let yourself go. And if you're in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and want to check out what we're doing, um, which we are certainly not Stanford on a number of <coughs> then BridgeCityCommunity.com is where you can check that out and see what we're up to in Chattanooga. And finally, Tom. Well, we still don't know what you do exactly, but you do live in the same city that Prince lived. So we'll just give you a shout out just for that. No, no, no. How does this always no, happen? We no. have a great shout out for your churches and then like, eh, we're not sure what Tom does. Because, I am literally no. feeding the hungry people. That is what I'm doing. That's what every good fake Christian says, but they're not. <laughs> so anyway. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us this episode. We'll see you in a couple weeks. We'll be talking about something, probably about music. Who knows? Have a good night. Good night, everyone. We love you. Review us on Facebook. Not Facebook. Uh, uh, Cut this part out, Josh. See you guys later. (laughs) Please cut that out.